When my brother-in-law married my sister, he introduced to our family the tradition of the birthday questions. And the general idea is this. Whenever a birthday comes along in our family, we get to ask the person who's having a birthday three questions. What was the most challenging part of this last year? What was the most memorable part of this past year? And what are you looking forward to most about the year ahead? Well, my dad's birthday was the beginning of May. And when I asked him these questions, he said, COVID, COVID, and no COVID. <laughs> well, the thing I appreciate about these questions is that they cause us to stand squarely in the present moment and take a look back and a look ahead. When we reach a milestone, there's value in reflecting on where we've come from, where we find ourselves now, and where we're headed in the future. And that's what the Apostle Peter does in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. You can turn with me in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen behind me in just a moment, to 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 10, and we'll be primarily looking at verses 9 and 10 this morning. This passage contains what I would argue is one of the foremost statements on identity in all of Scripture. You see, Peter writes this letter to encourage believers who are suffering under persecution brought by the emperor Nero um, from AD 54 to 58, or 68 was ramping up during that time. And he writes to remind them of their true identity as God's people, to remind them of the hope they have through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the climax of this book comes in the passage we'll actually be reading today, where Peter describes the people of God as a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone, being built together, declaring, um, with the purpose of declaring praise to God. It's in these verses that Peter reminds his readers who they are in the present, who they were in the past, and where they're headed in the future. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together uh, as we receive these words. Father, I just ask that you would be present with each one of us now, that your Holy Spirit would be at work um, in each of our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to unpack for a moment why verses 9 and 10 are such a significant statement for the Apostle Peter. We know Peter from the Gospels. He's bold. He's impulsive. He's a bit brash. Sometimes Peter gets it so right, and sometimes Peter gets it so wrong. Peter gets it so right when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And in this incredible moment of clarity, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in the very next paragraph in Mark chapter 8, Peter gets it so wrong. He rebukes Jesus when Jesus says he must suffer and die. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter and says, get behind me. Satan. Peter, you got it so wrong. Peter, when watching the crowds leave Jesus, he gets it so right when he says, where else are we going to go? With you are the words of eternal life. But when Jesus tells his disciples they will all fall away, Peter gets it so wrong when he insists, even if all fall away, I won't fall away. And that very night, he denies Peter, or he denies Jesus uh, three times. You know, it's, it's comforting in a way to know that Peter, the founder of the church, is far from perfect, and yet God used him to build his church, right? This pattern even continues, this pattern of Peter getting it so right and getting it so wrong at times continues even beyond the gospel accounts. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter receives a vision of clean and unclean animals coming down out of heaven. And he's, he goes to the house of Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, something Jews were forbidden to do in that day. And he confesses, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter, you got it so right. Well, Paul also recounts in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2 how he confronted Peter to his face when Peter began excluding himself from table fellowship with the Gentile believers in Jerusalem. Peter, you got it so wrong. A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Had it not been for the humility of Peter in that moment, the church would look much different today. 
Well, we know ultimately where Peter lands because we have this letter, 1 Peter, which was written toward the end of his life, written to the followers of Jesus who were both Jew and Gentile. And he says, you, you all are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Peter, you got it so right. So today I want us to consider three things. We align our identity with the cornerstone by remembering who we are in Christ. We align our identity with the cornerstone by remembering who we were without Christ and remembering what we're for because of Christ. In Christ we are, without Christ we were, because of Christ we will. Peter reminds the people of who, who they are through four identity statements. And nowhere else in the New Testament do we find promises of the Old Testament so directly applied to the people of God. Peter practically rips these words right from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, which says, Out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, all, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter sees the fulfillment of these Old Testament verses in the New Testament people of God because of the work of Christ. In Christ you are a chosen, holy kingdom of priests, treasured by God. I just want to take a minute to unpack a few of these statements um, of in Christ you are. In Christ you are chosen. Perhaps the most profound part of this is the fact that God has willingly, graciously chosen us through the blood of Christ to belong to his people. When I was in elementary school, I always hated the time during recess when all the kids would run to the ball field and we'd play kickball and everybody would line up and there would be two kids that would choose teams and whose team they would start picking kids uh, to be on their team. And the reason I, I didn't like it was because I inevitably was always one of the last kids picked. I wasn't very good at sports in elementary school, and it's okay, I've made peace with that. Um, but the hard truth was that nobody actually wanted me on their team. I was reluctantly chosen. But that's actually exactly the opposite of the way God chooses us in Scripture. He chooses not based on merit or special abilities or status. He chose you because he loves you. Closely connected to being chosen by God is the fact that you are holy, a holy nation. We typically define holy as being set apart or separate, and that is true. God sets apart the seventh day as holy. Or we have holy places or holy things that are set apart. But holy also carries with it this idea of being dedicated. 
there's a bit more of a forward motion in this, in this term. As the people of God, we are both separated from the world and dedicated to a life that bears witness to the grace and salvation of God. You are a holy nation, a chosen people, a holy nation. Paul uses these words, Paul, Paul uses the words a new humanity in Ephesians chapter 2. God is building something new in Christ Jesus. With Christ as the cornerstone, we are one house, one building, one temple, one people, a people made up of every tribe and tongue and nation, as Revelations chapter 5, verse 9 tells us. If you belong to Christ, this is your family. You are a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, priests were the mediators between the people and God. They administered sacrifices on behalf of the people, or they spoke with and communed in the presence of God on behalf of the people. But in the new people of God, there is no special priestly class. Through the finished work of Christ, you are all part of the priesthood of all believers. We all stand freely before God in the forgiveness brought by Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And as priests in his royal house, we are able to directly offer sacrifices of praise to God. You are a kingdom of priests, and you are God's special possession. If you remember all the way back to the first message on this series of identity, um, was one I actually preached back in January. And I talked about how Jesus, when he was faced with the question of paying taxes to Caesar from the Herodians and the Pharisees, he asks that a coin be brought to him, and he says, whose image is this? Whose image is on this coin? And the Herodians and Pharisees, they have to reply, well, it's, it's Caesar's image. And Jesus says, well, give it back to him. And you, on you who have been imprinted with the image of God, give yourselves to God. After all, you belong to him. You are his special possession. Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism, what's your only comfort in life? and in death, that I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You are his special possession. I hope over the past six months that you have been able to marinate in your new identity in Christ. I hope you've been able to ask some helpful questions like, what difference does it make in our friendships or our family life when we are even more deeply convinced that God has chosen us because he loves us? Or the difference it would make in our workplaces when we're even more deeply convinced that we are part of his holy nation, set apart, dedicated to a life 
that bears witness to the grace and salvation of God? Have you marinated in the truth of your new identity in Christ? That you are a chosen, holy, king, priest, people that is the treasured possession of God. This is who we are in Christ. Well, from there, the Apostle Peter moves on to discuss who you were apart from Christ. Without Christ, you were in darkness. Once you were not a people. Once you had not received mercy. This is a big dose of remember where you came from. A few weeks ago, I took one of our youth out driving. He has his permit. And we practiced for a bit in a neighborhood uh, before we moved out onto the open road. And as we drove, I was struck by the fact that when you're learning how to drive, there is a lot to remember. Have my mirrors been adjusted? How many car lengths are supposed to be between me and the car in front of me relative to my speed? Or which way do I click the blinker for a right turn? Or what do I do at a stop sign if I stop and I don't have good visibility of the rest of the intersection? All of these things I take for granted when I drive. And I was forced to remember what it was like for me to drive for the first time. What it was like before I had my license. Remember where you came from, right? Similarly, Peter urges his readers to remember who they were without Christ. They were in darkness. They were not a people. They were without mercy. Don't forget where you have come from. In the Christian life, and especially for those of us like myself who have grown up in the church, or those of us who might not have a dramatic conversion story, it can be hard to recall what life was like apart from Christ. For those of us coming from this place, a helpful question might be, when did you wake up to the gospel? Can you remember what life was like prior to your awakening? Or another question I think that applies to all of us and perhaps moves a bit closer to the present day. What has Christ or where has Christ been illuminating the secret dark corners of your heart lately? A couple of weeks ago in youth group, we acted out uh, a sermon um, called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Munger. Perhaps you have heard of this sermon. It's basically an extended analogy of Christ moving into an individual's life, coming into the library, your intellect, or coming into the kitchen, the seat of your desires, all these different rooms of the house. And toward the end of the sermon, there's one room that's left unopened. And Jesus remarks to the, the, the person whose house this is, he says, there's something dead in that closet over there. 
It smells. I can't, I can't be in here with that, with that closet still there. And in a moment, after some discourse, um, in a moment of surrender, the owner of the house hands the key to Christ and says, I need you to help me clean out this closet. Is there a closet in your life that Christ has cleaned out or is working on cleaning out? When we remember who we were apart from Christ, we are faced with the fact that we are absolutely dependent on Him. Except for the mercy of Christ in bringing me out of darkness, in cleaning out the closets of my life, I am nothing. Well, during the month of July, Pastor Dave will begin a series on racial reconciliation using John Perkins' book, One Blood. And as Paul mentioned, uh, that will be available after the service downstairs. The humility brought by remembering who we were apart from Christ is absolutely critical in this conversation on reconciliation that we will begin next month. Remember who you were. Every one of us, sinners fallen short of God's glory. And except for the mercy of God, we would still be in darkness. The Israelites are called to remember what God has done for them time and time again throughout the Old Testament. The reason? They're in danger of forgetting. Just like we sang last week, we sang, Come Thou Fount, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Our vision, our words, our intentions get warped when we fail to remember the mercy of God in our lives. Thomas Merton, in his writing Seeds of Contemplation, says the secret of my identity is hidden in the love and mercy of God. Therefore, I cannot hope to find myself anywhere except in Him. Remember where you came from, who we were, apart from God. So in Christ you are a chosen, holy kingdom of priests treasured by God. Without Christ you were in darkness, not a people, and without mercy. And because of Christ you will declare his praise. In, in verse 9, which you'll see behind me, it says, You are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God called you out of darkness so that you might declare his praise. You and I exist for the praise and glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, I formed you, I made you, I called you by name, I created you for my glory. Your identity has an end goal, to glorify God. 
An identity that is based on the self glorifies the self. But an identity that is based on the work of God glorifies God. Let me say that again. An identity that is based on the self glorifies the self. But an identity that is based on the work of God glorifies God. I want to end today with some practical advice as we head toward this conversation on racial reconciliation next month. There are two things that I'd like you to walk away with today. Cling to Christ, your anchor, and clothe yourselves in humility. Cling to Christ, your anchor. Cherry and I have been talking and thinking a lot about the image of an anchor lately. We have this image in Hebrews chapter 6, the hope of Christ as an anchor for the soul. Hold fast to Christ. He is your anchor. There are many voices speaking on the subject of race right now. And there is a great temptation to let our hands slip from the anchor and start calculating the location of our ship based on how close we are to someone else's. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm 200 yards east of, of Tim Keller and 300 yards south of Vodi Bakum. I'm 450 yards north of Latasha Morrison or Jamar Tisby or fill in the blank. Good, I'm feeling comfortable. Church, there is great danger in having our primary allegiance given to anyone other than Christ. Paul warns against this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he talks about divisions in the church. Does this mean that we don't seek the wisdom God has given to his people? No. No. We listen. We test. We measure against Scripture. And most importantly, we hold fast to our anchor. My job, Dave's job, the deacon's job, is to point you to Christ. Hold fast to that anchor. Because the hope of Christ is the only steadfast thing we have when the storm rolls in. Fallible human beings will disappoint us. Christ, in whom resides the perfect image of reconciliation of us to God, will never disappoint us. Second, clothe yourselves in humility. Peter's letter, 1 Peter that we've looked at today, is filled with practical advice for Christian living. And some of this we have to filter through the cultural lens of his specific intentions to this specific community. But he ends his letter with encouragement that applies to every believer. In chapter 5, his word to the congregation is, All of you, 
clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility. Literally, fasten on with a knot. Bind yourselves. Clothing, just as much as in the ancient world as it is today, is used as a way to distinguish ourselves. Check out these shoes that I've got, or my watch. In the ancient world, there was a white scarf or an apron for slaves, which was fastened to the belt and distinguished slaves from free men. Peter says this is to be the uniform of the church. As one pastor said, let the defining outfit of the church be humility. When Peter wrote this, he may have had in mind the incident after the Last Supper, where Jesus takes a towel and ties it around himself, dressing himself as a slave, and pours water into a basin, and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, who hours later would leave him to suffer alone. Are we willing to put on the apron of humility and wash the feet of the person next to us, or behind us, or in front of us, in the pew? When my identity is anchored in Christ, when I am placed firmly as a brick in the wall of his spiritual house, I don't have to be threatened by the experiences or the perspectives of others. And, and I can have the humility to admit that there may be things I've attached to my identity that need to be shed. Will we have the humility, like Peter, as we stand on the mercy and grace of God, to look back and see there were times when I got it so right, and there are times when I got it so wrong. Cling to the anchor, Christ Jesus. Clothe yourselves in humility. And remember, you were called out of darkness. And in Christ, you are a new people of God because of his mercy and love. And you exist to declare praise to the Father as a witness to the nations. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we are a treasured possession. Lord, I pray that, that you would preside over this body, this church, in the coming weeks. Lord, I pray against division, and I pray for unity in Christ. Lord, help us to listen and love one another well. 
Help us to put on the apron of humility. And may we cling to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.